Hello and welcome to the Anna Freud Centre's podcast series, talking about racism and mental health in schools, with Stuart Lawrence and Blam UK. I'm Siren Eve, Senior Clinician in the Schools Division at the Centre. Today we're going to be looking at why representation in the school environment and on the curriculum is so important. We're joined by Eve Doran, a researcher with Blam UK, Black Learning, Achievement and Mental Health. Blam are an organisation working to improve mental health outcomes and achievement for black children and young people. We are also joined by Michelle Roddy, Assistant Head Teacher, Director of Wellbeing, Safety and Resilience at St Bonaventure School in East London. Just a note to say that Michelle is joining us online, so the sound quality might not be as clear. Thank you so much both for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us. So um, to start with, Michelle, um, what do we mean by representation, both in terms of representation in staffing and also representation on the curriculum? So in terms of staffing, I think this is something that um, Nadeem Zahawi has actually really drawn attention to since he's taken over as um, Secretary of State for Education, because he he's drawing attention to the fact that the population in terms of staffing is simply not diverse. We know that 92% of head teachers in this country are white British, and we know that 85.6% of all teachers come from a white background. So the issue is in some ways bigger than any individual school, and it's something that it appears that the government are now willing to acknowledge needs um, to be looked at. We know also from research done that there are specifically issues around career progression into senior leadership for staff members who are from, say, um, minority ethnic background or from um, for a person of colour. So these are the, the bigger issues that I think the government has to step in and look at in terms of recruitment and retention. But also then in terms of um, staffing in a school, what we are thinking in our school is do our students, our boys and girls, when they see the staff, do they see themselves? And if they don't see themselves, because obviously, depending on where the school is based in the country, um, I'm thinking if it's, if it's somewhere in Cornwall, it may not be diverse. But if it's a case that the students don't see themselves in the staff, what steps are that school taking to ensure that they're still promoting a culture of inclusivity? So I think that's what we mean around staffing. Um, in terms of the curriculum, I mean, it's it's an area that we know there's been a lot of work and a lot of focus on in the last, say, 12 to 18 months. If I took English, which is my subject, as an example, we know that in 2019, the students who sat the GCSE English Literature paper, um, fewer than 1% of those students answered a question on a novel by a writer of colour and no more than 7% answered on a full-length novel written by a woman. So we see that in a subject like English, there's massive work that can be done um, to ensure that the the curriculum is representing the students that are accessing it. And it's not just the responsibility of a subject like English. We see geography as a subject as well, or history, where they have a huge role to play in, in looking at the history. And it's not necessarily about removing things from the curriculum, but contextualizing them in a way that possibly we haven't done before. So really looking across the curriculum. Um, not just in specific subjects, but making sure that this is something that is thought about throughout the curriculum um, so that children and young people can feel that they can see themselves in, in, for example, the historians you're talking about or the authors or the poets or whoever it is, um, that that sense of kind of uh, connecting. Absolutely. And it's something that can't be done overnight and it's not something that should be looked at in you know sort of January of 2022 unless this is something that has to become part of our ongoing process of review and reflection so every year department 
management should be evaluating those texts, including pupil voice, getting the experience of the students. What what has their experience been in that subject? Um, and then and then taking action based on on the research and based on what the students um, are telling them as well. And um, Eve, so can I ask, what impact does a lack of representation have on children and young people in schools in the UK? I think it has um, a negative impact on their well-being. Um, it's very draining to be engaging with a curriculum in which you don't see yourself represented um, every day. Students learn through the hidden curriculum about what's professional and what they can achieve and where they can go um, in the future is really impacted negatively by not seeing themselves represented in the curriculum. They don't see themselves represented, you know, in the different writers that are used um, in English, say. So, you know, they don't possibly imagine they could be a writer. They don't see themselves represented in science and maths, thinking perhaps, you know, STEM is not an area where people like them can excel. Um, And receiving these messages all day long is really draining. And when you spend so much time in school, like young people spend all day in school for such a large portion of their lives and they receive all their like primary education and socialisation, it's going to seep out into the activities they do after school as well. They're going to be demotivated. And when that sort of negative impact affects things that they enjoy doing, it's really detrimental. So if you don't enjoy school, you feel like school's not for you. You have to wake up every single morning for such a large amount of time and know that you're going to have to do that, that it's going to impact what you do after school as well and your home life and how you interact with your friends and different activities. And we know that a sense of belonging is incredibly important for, I mean, teenagers in particular. And I'm wondering what impact that must have if they're not feeling particularly connected or that they belong within the school environment. I wonder, do they seek that sense of belonging elsewhere? Yeah, um, and there might not be another place to, to find that sense of belonging. Um, and so going those like formative years without ever really feeling that sense of belonging has such an, a negative impact. It affects how you see you know, yourself as well when you can see other people around you clearly showing a sense of belonging and showing that they feel like they belong. Um, you're going to internalise that or direct it at yourself and think what's wrong with me that I can't belong when other people other people can um and if you don't have anywhere to voice that if you don't have a you know a group of friends who maybe experience the same thing or a situation like that isn't facilitated by the school or by the environment um that you're in you know if you don't not part of a youth club or if the school has mentoring but you you know you're not able to access that it just it stays bottled up you know it turns into the 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 truth that you hear rather than a, a doubt you voiced to someone um and talk it out and it might be dispelled but when you hold it for so long um it starts to possibly feel like the truth even if it isn't and if you're not feeling understood that also has to have a a negative impact on your ability to like you said voice your difficulties because if you don't feel connected you don't feel like you belong and you don't feel heard or understood how can you voice any any of your experience and feel like that would be received well and you know, from a mental health perspective, we know that the long term impact of someone who has constant kind of negative image and, you know, a lack of all of the, the factors that we've talked about, that could potentially lead to, you know, depression, anxiety, to name just, you know, just a few. So the impact could be really significant over a prolonged period of time. Yeah, definitely. And if you don't have a sense of belonging, in the school or anyone you can turn to, um, it's also going to affect 
how you engage with the, the learning and if that starts to also deteriorate then you've got a kind of a cycle of things you know if you feel bad about yourself and then your grades start to be affected it's going to reinforce those negative feelings that you have about yourself or that you can't do this or you can't do that um, I think as well with the the, the writer Darren Cheaty he has a really interesting uh, take on the sort of representation that you see as well sometimes and it's always like black heroes so say Martin Luther King, you know, Nelson Mandela. So you can't just be, you know, your regular self. If you're a black person, you have to be exceptional. You have to be, you know, the first person to have done this. You know, students think that they're going to have to, or there's perhaps the thought that they're going to have to go above and beyond to be accepted, that they're going to have to try twice as hard. And we do know that that is that is true and that has been like historically true for people in the black community you some have in professional spaces you have to work twice as hard and students will have to be more conscious of uh, their behavior and how their behavior is being outwardly perceived because of all the negative stereotypes around black students they feel like you can often feel quite like hyper visible in the school space and so you have to check your behavior twice as much but it sounds like also we're not we're not only talking about a lack of representation but sometimes a misrepresentation maybe yeah I think just the rush perhaps to amend the lack of representation has led in some cases to misrepresentation it's so important that reflection is built into any of these changes around um, curriculum for example because the other thing that came into my mind um, when we're thinking of what's the impact on the lack of representation is, I still hear the term um, colour blindness. I still hear people using that term almost as a, a defence or an explanation for how they're not maybe racist. And my worry then is if, if staff are saying they're colour blind and they're not actually seeing those young people in front of them either and seeing their full and rich experiences. And it's, it's everything that Eve was saying there around the misrepresentation as well as the the lack of um, aspirations. So if they're not seeing themselves, but then what they are seeing are these sort of highly idealized figures, it just becomes, I think, in some ways, and quite demotivating for them as well. And something, again, from an English perspective, we have to look at, you know, the unconscious othering of students through the texts that have been chosen and how they're received. And mainly I just think it just doesn't create their world um, and their story is sometimes then not told or it's, as, as Eve was saying, it's, it's completely misrepresented. So I think I think it has really profound impacts on students when when they do not feel represented. And I think it's about visibility and it's about being heard as well. I just wonder wonder if we could talk about the evidence or, or research around the, the perhaps the impact that this lack of representation has on young people. Yeah, so um, the research that we're doing is specifically around the omissions in the national curriculum, particularly the omission of black narratives from the curriculum and the impact that this is having on racial cohesion in the UK. So we're looking wider, we're looking at how this kind of affects students, but how in turn that then goes on and affects, um, affects society. Thinking about the school space as well, we're interviewing students and teachers and hearing from the points of view of black teachers teaching a curriculum in which they don't feel represented yet have to 
teach in a way that would motivate students who don't feel represented by it either. And it's this kind of ongoing chain of, you know, an education that's not working with the students or for the students and also with or for the teachers and the teachers are in some way trying to combat it. They're like kind of, you know, a bit of like almost bumping heads with the curriculum, with the things that they want to teach. Say, for instance, you know, Michelle has mentioned in English and it's it's a good example because I've met so many very passionate English teachers who love literature and can think of so many books that highlight the black experience and you know I could think of so many but they can't they don't have the space within the curriculum to be able to include it because it's so prescribed and it's so set out um, and that's you know very frustrating. It's quite limited. It's quite limited. Mm. And no room to bring your own experience into it. Yeah. Like you said, as a black teacher, perhaps bringing your own kind of um, slant on things or things that have inspired you or things that you think might represent better. Definitely. And I did um, speak to a teacher who said that they believe if you're not excited about what you're teaching, it shows and the students can tell. And then they're going to question, well, you know, why aren't you excited about it and it's good for students to have that critical eye when it comes to the curriculum as well but if it's never going to change you can be you know critically conscious but then you still have to engage with it because of the exams. So I'm just wondering what schools um, you know what steps schools can take to start to address this um, lack of representation that we're talking about. There's so much that schools can do in this area. Um, firstly, in terms of the curriculum, um, a really practical thing to do is just if if there has been no work done on the curriculum, is setting up a working party with departments to actually look at where they're at right now, how where are the areas that are not in any way representative of their school community and, and the steps that they can take. And I think it can feel very daunting for um, for teachers who are just maybe starting to engage in this process, and there is, there is, there can be a collegiate approach here. Um, so setting up something like a working party where you have certain departments um, who may feel more experienced, feel more confident, feel more passionate to actually start that that process going, and then through their experiences in the working party, they can share that out among the rest of the staff. I think um, one of the things that we did at St. Bonds last year, which was really important, was when we knew that we wouldn't be sitting exams, um, the kids, but they'd be doing work that then involved teacher assessed grades, um, we then did some unconscious bias training with our staff around that. And what we've all really decided as a staff body is there is so much benefit to marking without knowing who the student is. So we use numbers now um, rather than names. And a lot of those biases can be uh, both negative and positive, and they're all basically completely inaccurate. And we, you know, are not doing right by the students. So providing that training to staff, I think training is so key here because we need to support staff in, in taking these steps um, when, they, when they're starting to look at these things. Um, other practical things is, you know, schools can be very hierarchical. So, so look at the very top. Look at your governors. How many of them are ex-students? Can you tap into your ex-student body and can you encourage them back into your school to talk to the students about careers, can talk to them about their um, 
experiences after school, to talk to them about their experiences in school, but that they can start seeing themselves, um, not necessarily on a display board, but they're seeing it real life in front of them, ex-students who, who've walked in their shoes. Our chair of governors is an ex-bonds boy, and one of our other governors on the, our behaviour and safety is another ex-bonds boy. And they bring that uniqueness to us, um, both are men of colour. And so they absolutely are, when our boys see them in assemblies, they are seeing people who they can identify with. I think that those are some steps that um, schools can take that are quite practical. Schools need to start looking outwards and looking in. So it's about really being open to evaluating what's been happening so far and doing it in, in a way that is safe and nurturing, but also really ensuring there's a critical friend there so that you can start actively engaging with the aspects of the curriculum or aspects of staffing whatever it is, that um, having those open and honest conversations and then looking to other sources of support, what are other schools doing? Who, who, who's doing really good work here that you can go visit them? Um, no school is an island and they don't need to feel like they are. And also even just practical things like creating reading lists for writers who are writing in this area. You mentioned Darren Chitty and Jeffrey Boachi has done a lot of work in these areas um, Akala's natives, I think, should be standard reading for any 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 teacher in this country. And I wish I had been given it when I when I started teaching, and I think it would have been enormously helpful to me. So actually, creating resources for those teachers to access as well, and making students aware of those books. Um, one of the most powerful moments I've had with my classes is when we talk about microaggressions around their names and Akala has talked about this when he visits schools and their sort of internalization where it, it manifests through their shame around saying certain names and what when the boys and the girls receive that information and actually it's explained to them what's happening in that moment it's incredibly powerful for them um, but we need to know that it's happening as teachers to be able to to have that conversation with the students as well so those would be some of the things, I think, um, starting the conversation. In the last 10 years, schools, you know, with cognitive science, schools are really embracing research in a way that I don't think we were doing back in 2005 when I started teaching. And there is so much research out there around what this does to young people. So I think, again, making that part of reading material available to, to staff so that they can really learn about this subject. because. There, the education isn't just of the children. We've got to start educating our staff around this as well. And I wonder also what, what schools can learn from their pupils, as we know that, you know, they come with a wealth of experience and ideas and, um, you know, knowledge. And so I'm wondering how, how, how we can learn from them as well. I would say the first thing we have to do in every decision that we're making is what does it mean for our students and how will we know what it means for them to starting those conversations with them. One of the things that, um, again, and I, and I appreciate that I'm coming back to English on this, but there's a cre creative writing aspect to most English courses. And students will often go and talk about, you know, they've created a story. It might be a James Bond one or an FA Cup final. But actually, when you have writers and residents speak to the students, they will always say, your lives are the best story you can tell. You are the, you are the richest storyteller. And actually allowing students the space to, doesn't have to be writing, but creatively engage with their life experiences and celebrate them. 
and and get them get them on the displays. You know, maybe it's about taking down some of the Martin Luther King and putting up the children's lives on those display boards instead, and creating the space where they feel that they are valued and that people are seeking to understand what their background is like and what their heritage is and, and what's important about it. Michelle makes a really good point speaking about training. Often as well, what we have been finding in our research too is that when it comes to things like Black History Month or cultural holidays, it'll often fall on minority ethnic teachers from that same background to take on the responsibility of you know organizing around it or doing an event or you know coming up with ways that it can be incorporated into the into the school and it's a lot of extra labor and it's a lot of emotional labor too um when it's an event that's also affecting you as a black person to then you know be expected to take the lead um on you know discussions with students around it it's a lot of a lot of work and a lot of um responsibility and often i think teachers take it on because they want it to be done and it might not get done if they don't do it and if teachers had that training they feel that they could share that responsibility and share that load it reminds me of kind of the conversations i have in school about mental health and how you know, sometimes it's it, it's the anxiety that teachers hold about, oh, but if I ask about that, it's going to open up a can of worms or I don't know how to talk about self-harm or whatever it is because it raises so much anxiety and it's something around training but also helping to improve confidence so that they, and, and you know, and you're not always going to get it right and that's okay and you don't have to have all the answers and all of these kind of messages which would be so important for school to hear so that they can just be that bit braver to to take on these and and not skip over and not miss those opportunities because it's similar you know if a child comes to you struggling like don't miss that opportunity to talk to them because you might really be able to make a difference and just to 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 show that you noticed um or that you want to understand or that you you're there to listen can be incredibly powerful for a young person who's struggling Thank you for joining us today and thank you so much even Michelle for your insights. Today we've talked about um, representation in staff and in the curriculum. Uh, we've talked about the impact that this lack of um, representation and, and also misrepresentation actually has on children and young people. We've covered many practical tips and ideas for how schools might go about improving this um, representation and we hope you found it helpful. To learn more about this topic, listen to the other episodes in this Talking Racism and Mental Health in Schools series. At the Anna Freud Centre, we're also developing a package of free resources and e-learning for education professionals on the topic of anti-racism and mental health to be launched in spring 2022. So do keep an eye out for that. <laughs>